Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Cincinnati inbounds. Copain will let it air ball up and it is no good. And the Knights have knocked off 15th ranked Cincinnati. The UCF Knights have knocked off a ranked opponent for the first time since 2011. It's a court storming at CFE Arena on a Sunday afternoon where the Knights have beaten Cincinnati 53 to 49. What is up, Knight fans? Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I'm Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez. We are not joined by Mark Daniels, who you just heard. Uh, give the final call of the big story of the week, UCF's, UCF men's basketball's win over Cincinnati, courtesy to Mark and uh, to UCF Athletics, UCFKnights.com, uh, whose SoundCloud we found that on. Pretty nice of them to put that up there. Uh, and also the Knights flagship station, 96.9 The Game. Uh, wow, that is just one of a bunch of huge stories that happened this week, isn't it, Eric? Yeah, that's been the theme. Uh, UCF uh, knocking off ranked teams, big games, a lot of excitement. All, all themed uh, is the big theme this week. So we got a lot to dive into. We got uh, men's basketball, obviously, the big win against Cincinnati, which we're going to go in on here in a little bit. We've got women's basketball getting ready for their tournament. 19-win season, not too bad. Uh, first year under Coach Abe. We've got um, uh, also track and field, women's track and field, w- the winning the American Athletic Conference Indoor Championships. That's a big win for Jeanette Bolden and the UCF uh, track and field uh, crew. Uh, we've also got baseball and softball to get into. UCF playing uh, uh, Florida for two games this weekend. or Not this weekend, but this week, I should say. Uh, in the midweek, number two ranked Florida, nonetheless. Uh, and uh, also, a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about the brand new uh, facilities vision that UCF has. And Danny White unveiled uh, this, this past week and all the plans that they have. Uh, set up for um, UCF coming with hopefully a bunch of uh, new donations in the uh, not-too-distant future. They've already got a few donations on there, so there's a lot of stuff to talk about this week. So let's let's uh, dive right in, Eric. Let's talk about men's basketball. What a week as the uh, Knights right now stand at 19-10 and 10, thanks to, I think we can say this, I, 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 we thought it was possible, but it really was an unexpected upset victory over number 15 Cincinnati in CFE Arena on Sunday, uh, 53-49 uh, was, the, uh, was the final. First time that I saw the fans storm the floor in probably 10 years, right? I mean, I, I remember we stormed well, the floor a couple times during the old A Sundays. But, uh, but yeah, a, a floor-storming win for the Knights over uh, 15th-ranked Cincinnati. And they're at 19. And they have 19 wins with one game to go against uh, putrid USF. Uh, this coming uh, Thursday, Eric, 
uh, let's put this into context here. Is this this is what this is one of the what three or four biggest wins in uh, Division One program history? Wow! Right off the bat, hardball question there. Um, no, wow, it? that's a well. That's an interesting question because how do you categorize the biggest wins? For example, winning the 2004-2005 A-Sun Championship Tournament Championship games to me are significant because that punched your ticket yeah. to the NCAA Tournament. So well, I would I mean, say I'll even that, go back even further than that, the two uh, before that, I think 90, was it 96 and 99 or 94 and 96? I can't remember. But, um, but you could say like the first one, those are Division One. Um, right. the back-to-back obviously are up there, uh, in the conference USA slash American era, the win over Florida's up there. Um, they were ranked at the time. You remember that the win over, that was U- at the Amway center. Yeah, that was at the, the Amway, Amway center. center in Orlando. That was, yeah. Um, I think that Yukon wins probably up there too. Um, then the Bahamas, the, in the Bahamas, there's, there's, there's a few that are up there, I think. Yeah, I think this is. Now, by the way, the last time they stormed the court, since people are screaming right now on uh, as they listen to this, at you right now, Jeff, after they screamed at me after the fact, saying, hey, you know, the Connecticut win and uh, you know the Florida win were in different years. Okay, settle down. It was a two-year period there. Settle down, all right? And Jeff actually corrected me on that last week, too. I don't know why people missed that. but Because um, they don't listen to me. No one ever listens to me. Well, that's probably that's a fair point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would say that the Cincinnati win – is the biggest win at the UCF slash CFE arena's history. Okay. All right. That sounds, that fair? That sounds I mean, that's fair. Um, because you mentioned the last time, the last time they stormed the court was that when they finally beat Memphis. That's uh, right. That's right. Uh-huh. Donnie Jones. Forgot that one. And, but that meant that was not a Memphis, uh, team that was super you know great team yeah, they were uh, that, yeah that wasn't that wasn't a very that was when memphis sort of started their post calipari kind of slide you know, kind of return re-entry into the earth's atmosphere you know well and I, what i remember about that because i was at that game and i was sitting courtside and when that was the first time that i saw them storm the court uh and that was controversial a little bit from the standpoint there were some people that didn't think they should have stormed the court because Memphis wasn't ranked it's not the John Calipari uh, team in there whereas this one I think was more authentic I think was more I'm a you know I know there's a lot of talk about whether you should storm the court not storm the court and what you know and all that and I don't know what your thoughts on that I'm for storming the court I don't have a problem with it Um, obviously you don't want it to get out of hand and and all that but I do think there are parameters you know and, and I think in UCF's case uh, look, I mean, it's the fourth time in the history of the program they've beaten a top 25 team. Uh, it, it's it, to me, I think it warrants it. And, and, and really a signature win. And I, I tweeted this out afterwards, a signature win for Johnny Dawkins yeah. and, and to, to put his footprint in this program. Right. I mean, we spent the fall talking about what, when, when is that signature win for Scott Frost in UCF? And I, and then, to be honest with you, I don't know if we ever got that signature win yet, right? I mean, we got some nice wins, but I don't think we have that, quote, signature win, hey, statement made here. Whereas we've gotten that yeah. now, Coach Dawkins here, to beat Cincinnati for the first time ever in general, but then to beat them in the 15th ranked team. And that's a big game for Cincinnati, by the way, because they are trying. They were battling for the American Conference title with SMU, and that might have ended up costing them the regular season championship. So it's not like Cincinnati take, took the game for granted. That was a big game for them. And 
uh, a fascinating game for me in, in that it was a defensive struggle, uh, especially in the second half. And I don't know how much, I mean, I'm watching that in, in the, in the person, uh, I sat with trace our good friend from nightline podcast, by mm-hmm. the way, which was entertaining. I strongly recommend you Jeff <laughs> next year. You need to go to a basketball game with trace. It's just phenomenal. He's got this, He's got this game, and he and if you listen to the pre, their uh, most recent uh, episode podcast of Nightline Podcast, he breaks down this game that he has with three of his buddies where they pick the highest score uh, for each game for UCF basketball, which I, and they have like dinner, bet on it for the year and stuff. It's pretty fun, actually. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Um, but UCF struggled offensively, and part of the reason they struggled in the last so eight to ten minutes is because I thought they were running out of gas. They reminded yeah. me of that Seinfeld episode. Where Kramer's taking oh the boy, car. Where's this one going? Remember, no, remember the episode where Kramer has got the car and it's on E empty, yeah. and, and his buddy tells him, "No, you got don't go. You got to drive it all out. You know, live it on the edge." And I felt like UCF basketball is like that. They were on E, like the the gas was on E. It, it was blinking, and now the question is, can they just hold on to the finish line against Cincinnati? And thankfully, BJ Taylor had that incredible three pointer mm-hmm. to go up five. And then, thankfully, Cincinnati missed an alley-oop. <laughs> and then, thankfully, Taco Fall, who's a 40-some percent free throw shooter, makes both of his free throws. Which is amazing. You know, and it's funny because people, uh, they asked me after the Temple win. Some people have reached out to me to ask me about questioning why is Dawkins leave Taco in there in those type of situations where he could get fouled and and shoot, you know, free throws. And, and listening to Coach Dawkins talk about that, he has confidence in Taco. And I think that's why this team has bought into Johnny Dawkins, Jeff. Don't you feel like, and, and being around him, he's the type, and he was on Tuck and O'Neill uh, this week on, on Sports Talk 1080, and he talked about he believes in his players, and that's not just lip service. He genuinely believes that Taco Fall can make the free throws if he gets in that situation. He truly believes in him. And whether you be- agree with it or not, I think that helps the players, right? If you're Taco Fall and the players, don't just doesn't that make you want to run through the wall for your coach when he believes in you, when maybe others don't think that you should be in that situation? And I think that's why and one of the reasons why this team has accomplished what they've accomplished to this point, because I think they have bought into what Coach Dawkins is telling them and saying, and they know that he has their back. Yes, I do agree with you, but I think that Coach Dawkins is also hiding the real reason why he leaves, in this particular example, Taco out there in crunch time. He Obviously, he's not out there for his free throw shooting, but I think Dawkins' play on this is I need him out there for two things, shot blocking and rebounding. When you got a 7-6 guy, remember we, talk, we talked about, with Taylor Young about this that UCF is in the bottom half in the American in block shots, even with Taco Fall out there. Why is that? Because teams are afraid to go to the rim. And one of the big issues that you could run into there is, you know, someone's best player decides that, you know, late late in the game, they're going to go to the rim, they're going to get fouled, they're going to try and shoot free throws. They're not going to try and do that with Taco because of, because of his sheer size. And also you need the rebounding out there because they're shorthanded on the front line. So I think it's a calculated risk by Dawkins to say, I need the defense and the rebounding out there. And as far as the free throw shooting is concerned, I really could not care less. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to live and die with what, with one of my three best player with my three best players out there, 
which right now are uh, B.J. Taylor, Matt Williams, and uh, and Taco Fall, in my opinion. And uh, so and so far, and then that worked in that game. And I'll give you an example of why. You talked about the defensive struggle down the stretch with eleven fifty five to go in the second half. Nick Banyard made a jumper that gave UCF their biggest lead. It was forty six to thirty five. So that means in the final twelve minutes of the sec of the game, UCF only scored seven points and still won. Now, how did they do that? They held Cincinnati. They had 35 at that point. They fit, they got out, yet the Knights got outscored 14-7 to in the final 12 minutes and won the game. That's defense. That is all defense right there. And that goes to Taco Fall. His presence in the paint uh, is really felt by, uh, by these teams that, you know, it, let's face it, it's a drive-and-kick game these days in, the, in, in NCAA basketball. That's filtered down from the pros. You got a lot of point guards, like kind of like B.J. Taylor, you know, who their game is to penetrate and either get to the line or kick out to the wide open three. And when you have a seven foot six guy in there, guess what? That leaves you only one real option. So what are you going to do? And I think it worked to perfection in this game. UCF gets the win, and it's a and it's a credit to their defense. Well, and and, and altering shots. I mean, even. Uh... Coach Dawkins mentioned that in the post game, how possibly you know that missed uh, alley oop play with you know, four seconds you, left. You wonder alley-oop. if the if you wonder if the player that's trying to dunk the ball is thinking, "Where's Taco?" Right? Oh, of Just, course they're wondering that. Yeah, and I think that you know that I've seen that with shots being left short because they're trying or shooting it too long because they're shooting the ball above the or, guy. Yeah, or short. No, no or, question or about it. it. Up too high, you know, and then. Sure. Yeah. Well, and that's the significance. And, and Mark in the post game show on the radio asked Coach and, and told and uh, talked to Dawkins about that about the fact that I was listening to the post game on the way back from the arena and how that's in a way though it tells you why the, the improvements of Taco this year. He's playing thirty minutes. You know, you looked at that Cincinnati game. Coach Dawkins decided I'm riding with my five guys. <laughs> yeah. You know. Because that's all I got. Like he really didn't use Chad Brown that much in the second half of the game because he knew he needed Taco. To your point to knock off Cincinnati and to really uh, make Cincinnati try to beat them, if you will, from over the top in the perimeter. Uh, but he basically went with five guys. So that's one of the other reasons why he leaves him out there. He really doesn't have a lot of options in the bench, right? Uh, which, again, speaks to the remarkable year that they have had and why they were running out of gas in that game. But, look, it was a defensive tie. Let me tell you, seeing Cincinnati in person, their ball pressure, because they try to turn it up in that, that is impressive. They are one of the top defenses for a reason in the last 10 minutes. In fact, uh, let's play. We got Coach Dawkins here talks about the victory and how rewarding it was because really this was the type of game he expected with these two top defenses in the league. But we knew coming into this game that that's how we were going to have to win. You know, you're not going to, you know, you're going to win on defense against a team like this. This, this, It's a story program. They hang their head on the defensive end. And so we knew we were going to have to battle. And uh, we hang our hat there too. And so. We were fortunate. We were able to, uh, you know, defend just a little better than they were tonight. But uh, they've had a great year. You know, Mick does a great job with this program. You know, I followed him for years, and uh, what he's done there has been amazing. And uh, you know, they're great representatives of the American Conference. And then, don't you think they're Jeff right there? I mean, Cincinnati's known for their defense, and I think UCF now is known for their defense. This is a defensive first team when it comes to UCF. They, you know, they they really set that tone going back all the way to when they played up in that tournament 
in the Carolinas uh, earlier this year. Remember that when they beat Mississippi State yep. in the College of Charleston uh, in that College of Charleston tournament. And I, this is a defensive team first, and Taco's a big part of that because he alters shots and, and, and it's no easy baskets inside. And that's what kept them in these games, and they win the game. And it's huge to knock off a team like Cincinnati that prides themselves on defense as well. Uh, that was – I really – I know, you know, sometimes people tend to critique – uh, defensive games and low scoring games. Oh, it's not good offense. But I mean, having watched that game, uh, uh, give credit to both defenses really made that game a tough physical, a tough, intense game, really. And, and, and credit to those guys for pulling out a huge victory uh, on a lot of levels. Uh, to me, it's the biggest home win they've ever had on campus. I don't know if it's as big of a regular season win as say the Florida win at the Amway center. Uh, that could be debated. Uh, I do think, though, it is the biggest home regular season win of all time. To me, it's a throwback to, I know this is going to sound weird, but some of those A-Sun teams that they won with defense. And uh, and this team is winning is is winning with defense. I, I went back and I looked at the schedule here. They've won, look at the close games they won. They beat Temple by two. They beat East Carolina by three. I know that East Carolina is not all that good, but um, still, close game. Uh, lost to UConn by three. I mean, I'll grant you that. Okay. But, you know, the, the, the problems they were having in close games earlier in the season, remember they lost by five at Memphis. They lost by five to SMU. They seem to have flipped that around. And I'm really impressed with um, how this team has rallied around defensively um, and figured out, like, that. that's going to be our secret sauce this year. And, especially considering the lack of depth they have. And the other thing I was really impressed with, and I think you were too, you were there, the atmosphere in that game. That was that was as intense a game as I have seen in the arena probably since going back to the Jermaine Taylor days when uh, when they were getting six 7,000 a game yeah. to see Jermaine play. And, uh, and it was – it. It felt like a madhouse in there. It really did. No, it did. It was a fun atmosphere, and I enjoy. Like I said, I enjoyed the store, uh, the, the fans uh, storming there. Uh, I'm for it, and it's a huge win. And and Coach Dawkins, to your point, Jeff, talks about here after the game. He talked about how this is a huge win for the program, and it was great to have the fans involved in in this win. It was so special walking up the court, seeing the fans rush the floor. You know, to see Matt, you know, surfing everyone out there was was a, was amazing. He he was, you know, so it was it was a wonderful you know experience for everyone, and that's what we want to see. You know, we always said we're not going to get anything done special without all of us being committed. That's our student body, our community, our players and staff, and uh, you saw that tonight. I think it all came together on a night like this where you saw everyone engaged. I thought the students were great. I thought our fans were amazing. It was electric in there again tonight. And it, you know, culminating with them rushing the floor couldn't end it any better for senior night. So, it's really happy about you know, you know where we're trying to move the program. You know, we know we have a long ways to go. There's going to be some adversity, some ups and downs, but we are you know we're really excited about the potential of what we know we can do here. We got the best students in the country. We got, I mean, some of the best fans in the country. They're real, they're very passionate. I mean, so. 
we there another thing we don't want to let them down either. We want to represent this school with pride because it's bigger than us. It's not just about the you know 15 guys in the locker room. We represent a whole university. So whenever we go out the court, we have to, we want to give it all we got because we're representing them and we just we want to make them proud and we want them to come back. And we want them to enjoy themselves because this is a great university. I mean, it's it's one of the best, it's the best school in the country in my opinion. I mean, I'm from Orlando and I love it here. Jeff, how about that, uh, Coach Dawkins? And there, B.J. Taylor. Talk about the passion of the fans, the passion for the school, and it brings That's been up a missing question. from UCF basketball for a well, while. Well, and I'm and, and let, let's bring that up because that was asked to me not only where I was at the game uh, for Cincinnati, but I was also at the Temple women's basketball game, and I sat. I mean, I'm 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 sitting with a who's who here. I mean, I sat with <laughs> you know Trace at the men's game. I sat with Brandon Helwig for the women's game. He was covering it for UCFSports.com. And, and among others, Shannon Owens Green of the Orlando Sentinel, and among, and we're, we're a lot of conversations between Sunday and Monday, uh, back to back. And that is, what's it going to take uh, to get more people into those buildings? And I let, think let's we just, just saw it right there. <laughs> well, and that and that's my thing. Um, let's start with the men's first, and maybe we'll 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 address the women's version when we talk about them. So let's just focus on the men's for now. Uh, they had about fifty seven hundred. Uh, at the game, obviously you and I were there when they were drawing eight, nine thousand, you know, ten, you know, big crowds. I I think this, and, and I remember we had Taylor Young on this podcast earlier in the year, and I and and there was a statement he made in that podcast that I think still rings true. And and, and you remember when he you know we we signed off, he said, you know, give UCF basketball another a chance, another chance, uh, to the point where, and I do feel that for whatever the reasons. A lot of people turned their back on the program at some point during the Donnie Jones era, probably probably right around the time when the sanctions came with football and basketball. And yeah, I feel right like a lot time. of people and I feel like a lot of people kind of turned on basketball there because hey, it was basketball's fault that we got into this situation and Donnie's fault and my God, it almost cost us and football and this or that and et cetera, et cetera. Plus, I think there's an underlining. Let's be honest. There's a percentage of fan bases, uh, fan base that only cares about the football program, doesn't care about the other program. So if some, if they feel that another program harms the football program, they just take it out on them and stuff like that. So I, I think a variety of those reasons. The, the basketball program has been taken for granted, uh, and my hope is that with this season with UCF basketball, which I think will end up in postseason. And we can get into what the possibilities are here shortly. My hope is that next year, now that they've proven that they can win and they have a good product, they're going to return pretty much the entire team except Matt Williams, which is a huge loss, uh, as well as Banyard and, and, and you know and Fayani. But but the the core, the core, the BJ Taylor, the Taco Fall, we all expect them to all return, and I think we'll have. Uh, to me, bringing exciting uh, expectations next year with all the newcomers that'll be coming in, that maybe the fans can start buying into the program again and, and buying into Coach Dawkins. And I think Coach Dawkins, for his account, has done his part not only on the court with winning games, but off the court. He's doing radio interviews, and I'm not just saying that as a producer of Tuck and O'Neill because he's been on our show three times. I will shill for he's been on with uh, the shot doctor he was on. He's been on with Scott Inez. So this is not a, 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 a you know, a, my point is he's making the rounds and to push the product and push the program. Uh, and I think that 
the media and, and fans want to blame that the media doesn't cover it in this or that. Well, the fans need to give the media ch- an oper- a reason to talk about it. Yes, and that's you, the thing. It, it, I, I, thank you, you know. for saying that because this drives me nuts. The, the, the media is driven by fan interest, not the other way around. Stop Correct. saying that the media sets the agenda. We don't. We cover the things that you are interested in. Yes, no, and listen, and I'll share this story because this story is now long ago enough to where I can share the story. I used to produce the David Bauman show uh, back in 1080, about four or five years ago. Fellow Syracuse alum, go ahead. There you go. And the, the show's on in Orlando and Tampa. You know, and then we, and we had a program director, and one of the constant conversations, obviously, that goes on is what topics you bring up and stuff. Because I know a lot of fans and UCF fans on the message board, well, they don't cover UCF, they don't talk UCF and all this stuff. And, and Bauman is a huge basketball fan, college and pro. Loves mm-hmm. basketball. Probably his favorite sport. He's, and he he's loves a, talking he's college. He's a Syracuse UCF. kid. Syracuse is a basketball yeah, school. Correct. So he wants, you know, he would, he loved talking UCF basketball, cover UCF basketball back then and stuff like that. And the program director would constantly um, didn't like that because, I mean, there's a lot of debate about Central Florida, whether it's a college basketball market and stuff like that. And one of the arguments that was used against UCF in that conversation, in that meetings that we would have is, well, how many people are at the game? Twenty five hundred three. If, if right. people cared, why aren't they going to the games? Um, and so that's a part of it. it. That's a part of it. Now I, I come from the camp that, Hey, I like to talk about everybody, everything, but look, the fans have to show up. If fans don't show up, where's the interest? That's the question. Got to support the program, go to the buildings, watch the games. And then people start talking about it. And I think the example of that is look what's happened down in South Florida with the Miami hurricanes. The Miami Hurricanes, which people used to say nobody cares about their basketball program. And since Jim Laranega's arrived there, they've started to sell out games down in Miami. They've become conversational now down in South Florida when they used to not even care about hurricane uh, college basketball. When they win, people talk about it. When they don't, they don't. And I hope and I think we've started to see a little bit of that more UCF basketball talk this year because they're winning games to your point. So now it's up to the fans. No more excuses. No more like, hey, you know, you know, they don't talk about it. They don't real. You got to go out there and help the program. The programs help themselves. Now you got to help them support them because the players have talked about it. You heard BJ Taylor about how the fan support that's huge and it helps them. Yeah. Uh, that building, you, I've been there when it's packed at nine thousand, nearly ten thousand. It's a tough place to play, um, and I think they can make a difference. So hopefully, and I look in defense. There is one little quirk with obviously the schedule quirks that with television. You don't sometimes you're playing on a Sunday afternoon. Sometimes you're playing on a Saturday afternoon. Sometimes you're playing on a Wednesday and all that stuff. But yeah, but you know what? You uh, know when, same, you know when the games are. Show up. You know correct. And, and my thing is. Like Sunday's Cincinnati game was a three o'clock Sunday game. Like, what else are you doing? Right. What are you Football watching? Football season's the- over. <laughs> right. What are you doing? Like, what are you watching the Daytona 500? I know because that was the lowest rated Daytona 500 of all time. So I, I don't think you're watching that. What what, what other excuse you have? So right. to me, they need to get out and support the program. Um, and I think the, Coach Dawkins has done that and, and so much. So to me, the fans that they're complaining about it and about coverage and stuff needs to shut up and just kind of worry about them, worry about just supporting the program. And then everything else takes care of itself. That's always been my belief on that. So I I think you agree with that um, from that regard. So I I think hopefully that gets to that. 
obviously, as we do this podcast, Jeffrey, they play USF on Thursday. That's Monumental a, not to not to have a letdown there. You that's cannot a road game, by the way. Road game in Tampa. It's going to be their senior day, and I know they're the worst. ESPNU. Correct. Uh, big game for the trophy too. I four, uh, Warren I four coached. Uh, you know that the uh, the points and all that. If they can get that win, all right, twenty wins, you secure a buy into the conference tournament. I think they're an NIT team at that point. I think they've done enough to an NIT team. Um, if you look, there are actually sites that that do NIT projections. <laughs> Uh, and they have, you know why? Because someone's got to do it. (laughs) Exactly. So somebody's got to do it. Um, I think they're an NIT team, which I think is remarkable. I think it would be remarkable. And I think coach Dawkins probably is going to be one or two as far as coach of the year. Uh, don't you agree with that? Like, I think he's one or two. I think it's between him and the SMU head coach. Uh, for that race, don't you agree with that? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Although I still think I, I, I also think that um, that the Cincinnati coach deserves consideration. Cronin, have, Cronin, Cronin deserves that. Although he may have lost it actually with the, with with this last right. game. Tim uh, Jenkins, by the way, is the SMU head coach. Yes. Like it, I, I, I could see him getting the nod because he replaced Larry Brown. Right, and that's a thankless task. Right, and he lost. You know, Nick Moore was the best player on the team. They graduated and stuff. So. I could see Jankovic edging out Coach Dawkins, but that shouldn't take away from the job he's done. I think it's it's got to be one of those two. Uh, obviously, I'm biased there, but I think it's going to come down to those two guys for Coach of the Year. Um, but let, let, you know, NIT, right? Don't you agree? NIT uh, would be an enormous success. It, it would be incredible if they don't make the NIT. The CBI is an option. What's your and then this is the other conversation. What's your opinion on that? Because you have to put in money in a bid to play in the CBI. Are you for or against that? If well, obviously, if you don't get into the NIT, I think you definitely should get into the CBI. I think that the uh, that you should you should put in to, to go to the CBI. I think the question is when it comes to the CBI versus NIT question is yeah is it is it worth being say, a high-seeded CBI team and bidding to host a bunch of games? Uh, or is it worth getting into the NIT where you... I'm looking at DRatings.com. They have UCF as a... This is one of those uh, sites that does the uh, NIT projections, and they project yep. UCF as a five-seed. And there are... And there are uh, in each, I guess, region, there are a total of eight... Seeds, so they would be playing on the road. Most likely, UCF would be throughout the NIT. So, do you trade road games in the NIT for home games in the CBI? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I'd I, rather be in the NIT. I'd rather I, be in the I, NIT. Yeah, I would rather be in the NIT and test myself against competition. Like, for example, the four teams that they have as four seeds in the NIT right now would be teams on the line of Texas Tech, Alabama, BYU, Boise State. Uh, those, those are. Te- I would like to test myself against those teams right there. I, I think it's about the competition. And if you win a couple, you know who knows? Maybe someone gets knocked off. You get to go to you. You get to uh, play a game at home. Maybe uh, if you get lucky, if somebody gets knocked off down the way. So, um, yeah, I would rather play in the NIT against the better competition. Personally yeah, no. speaking. 
Well, and financially, you don't have to put in, you know, spend money to be in the right. tournament. That's the that's, that's the other that. thing. That's the other thing too. But right, but the NIT is a more prestigious deal. Um, but let me ask you. Let me throw a crazy scenario. Okay. At this recording, UCF's RPI is seventy-seven. Seventy-seven. Mm-hmm. To put that in perspective, Syracuse, your beloved other alma mater, <laughs> seventy-nine. Yeah. A lot of people have Syracuse in the NCAA tournament. Now, in Syracuse, that's based defense, entirely on whom they have played in the regular season and nothing more than that. Well, on the ACC, playing in the ACC yeah. has that advantage, obviously, beating a Virginia, Florida State. But the win here's over my Duke here's is obviously a big factor in that. Absolutely. But, absolutely. but here's my argument here, because I, I, I was uh, hanging out with our friends, Michael Donald and Taylor Young, at uh, halftime, and we were just throwing spitballs. What if this team were to make a run at the tournament and get to the final mm-hmm. on Selection Sunday? Don't you have to put them in the conversation at least at that point for the mm-hmm. NCAA tournament, the committee? Well, this is where this is where it gets fun. Yeah. Because they're the four seed. If they get to the final, that means that they will have likely had to knock off SMU too. Okay, so they so they right. will have beaten. Right now, UCF is the four would be the four seed. Let's say let's lock the tournament in right now as it is. Sure. If UCF is the four, UConn's the five as as is currently the situation right now. UCF will have had to knock off UConn in Hartford, Connecticut. Not an easy thing to do, but it's very no. hard to be. But UCF has lost to UConn twice. And it's very hard sure. to beat a team three times. Then they will have had to knock off, likely, SMU, the one seed, all right, who's also 25-4 and four overall. Then they would likely play, if the seeds hold up, the winner of Cincinnati and Houston. So I would put UCF in. So if they knock off UConn and SMU, I think that should be enough to put them over the top because then they would be sitting, let's, assuming, they, assuming they defeat South Florida, that would put them at 22 and 10 with wins in their last 5 games against uh 3 of the top 5 teams in your conference. And and, and, and you're playing and you're you're coming down the stretch with a uh with a let's see right now they've won 4 in a row beat USF that's 5 first round quarters 6 7. So seven, so you're getting hot at the right time. And what was the other thing you were going to mention? Well, here's the other thing too, and this has been used in the past with uh, when, as far as uh, arguments to the committee, this team UCF was without their best player, arguably BJ Taylor, for the uh, the last few games of the non-conference and the beginning of conference play. Right for a chunk uh, of the season. So imagine if he was healthy, maybe they don't lose a game to a George Washington or a you know, the home game again the again, you know earlier in the year you know maybe that that's a game or two difference there which could be the difference um you know so i i i do wonder look and, and who knows i mean obviously it's a lot of ifs right i mean got you know who knows they could get knocked out early and then stuff like that i think it would be kind of cool though i mean cuz i think this tournament is wide open this league is wide open. This tournament coming up, and we're going to get in more in it next week, is wide open, don't you think, Jeff? I mean, right now, I, as yeah. good as Cincinnati, as good as Cincinnati and SMU are, and they should be the favorites. It's not like, oh wow, it's a done deal. Oh, they're it's, beatable. It, they're definitely beatable. So yeah, like you said, 
they're beatable. So anything could happen in this conference tournament. I just think it'd be kind of fun if UCF can make that run and get to the final. I think they start getting in the conversation with the Lenardis of the world. And I remember uh, that would be a fun conversation. I remember last year I was covering the tournament. I was at the championship game. It was Memphis versus UConn. And everybody had to hold, hold on because that was the last game before the selection show. And everybody had to wait to see what would happen to that game because that would affect the, the bracket. Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of cool if it could happen to UCF. Um, I do wonder, again, and one of the things that's hurt UCF this year from the conference standpoint, it's been a transitional year. So, for example, and this is why I think the RPI is flawed. For example, Connecticut on paper does not look like a good game. Like, that's a bad, quote, bad loss. But anybody that plays Connecticut in Connecticut, for example, knows that that's anything that a bad loss. Plus, um, I think they're better than their record says they are. Exactly. Same with the Memphis and the Houston. That's why I think the RPI and there's an ongoing debate going on in college basketball. You know, if you notice, Jeff, and I know you follow it very closely, more, more, more and more people now are using Ken Palm and other systems other than the RPI to determine if a team is good or not good based on that instead of just the RPI formula. So uh, which I think is good. I think you need to have more opinions out there than just the end RPI being the end all be all. But um, you know, my my that's my thought on that is that I think uh, UCF uh, could get themselves in the conversation. Now, again, for that to happen, they have to beat USF because they're actually going to probably get hurt by playing USF, which is the other flawed system right. here. You're getting punished because you got to play USF twice, which you have no control over. You yeah. have no and it, control and it only over takes your time. A, Yeah, and it only takes into account games that you have played. So. Yes. So, yeah. Right. And, and you know, but but you know, that's neither here nor there. If you played US, if you played USF, you know, a month ago, you know, in that game, then you, then your RPI would be jumping if your last game was the Cincinnati. At the end of the season, at the end of the regular season, everything pretty much evens out. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, this is why they have committees, you know, examine this thing. And uh, I, I I would I, I think that style points may also take a look at it. You know, if UCF kind of gets lucky a couple times, which it may take, you know, that may that may that may affect them one way or the other. But I think that if they perform impressively, if we see a team that's sort of really starting to really peaking right now. Yes. Yes. If they, if thank you, if they, common sense eyeballs, right. Use your eyeballs. If they win impressively against say UConn and they win impressively against say SMU, then it could be, then you could, you could really start to get, um, you know, quite, quite excited about what's going to happen on the other hand they could go all the way to the final win the final and then we don't have to worry about sitting you know no at that point <laughs> we would have a lot of different conversations right take place. So, in fact in fact i'll make this proclamation all right. if they pulled that off if they won the men's tournament uh title that sunday guess what emergency special edition emergency podcast, the podcast on that night at that point <laughs> emergent yes emergency <laughs> podcast that night we will definitely have to do that so uh, so again, Thursday, we'll have to, first things first, got to beat USF on Thursday. It's their senior day. They're a bad team, which means that they are feeling vulnerable at home. And I think they're going to give us a better game than people might, uh, than people yes, might think. Agreed. Cause Not they're, sleep on this they're game, hungry yes. and they would like nothing more than to totally ruin our chance at winning, at winning our 20th game of the regular season on their floor, on their senior day. So, um, I'm don't I'm not counting that as a W 100% of the way all the way just yet. I think that there's uh that we're we're going to get a game from them. So, um speaking of uh getting a game, let's flip over to the women's side because 
uh, we have to talk about the, again, the impressive move down the stretch that they made. They split the weekend at home. This weekend that we were talking about, Eric, they, um, boy, did they look good against SMU in winning their, uh, what at that time was their sixth consecutive game, 63-37. to And that was on the Saturday. Then they had to come back Monday, and they had a game against number 23, or number 20, depending on uh, which poll you look at, the Temple Owls. And a game that was very tight. Temple came out. They actually did take a, take a big lead in the first quarter. UCF fought back. Temple let, and then Temple took another, you know, took kind of expanded their lead in the third, and then UCF fought back again in the fourth, but came up short against Temple. 66-60 to was the final in what was the final regular season game. UCF, I thought, played pretty well. They actually outshot Temple in this game, uh, 47% to uh, 37, um, but uh, only made three threes. Temple made, uh, Temple made seven of them, and uh, there was a free throw disparity, too. UCF was 5 of 12 at the line, uncharacteristically, uncharacteristically poor. Uh, where Temple was 15 of 19 at the line, even though so so even though UCF out rebounded Temple and outshot Temple, they still lost the game. Um, Aaliyah Gregory led the team with 19 on uh, nine of 16 from the floor. Zai Lewis in her final game on the home floor, uh, final regular season game on the home floor, four of 10, uh, 10 points, two rebounds, uh, uh, no assists for Zai. Jocelyn Massey was four of six from the field. She had nine points and 11 rebounds. But uh, Temple showed why they're a ranked team. They win the game. Um, UCF came up a little, you know, coming up a little bit short in this one, which is kind of a bummer. But um, when you look at, you know, what UCF has been able to do to as they finish this regular season, you know, nineteen and you know, I, I listen, nineteen and eleven in your first year under a new head coach and coach Abe in a team and a team that I think that had lower expectations than people thought. You're going to go to the conference tournament. In Connecticut, you're pl- they're playing. By the way, their their first game's on Saturday. They're playing uh, two. They're the four seed. They're playing the five seed is going to be Tulane, who UCF has beaten at, in New Orleans earlier this year. What what where are you thinking that this team is right now? It's phenomenal. I mean, I, who would have envisioned this? Right. I mean, basically, the same team as last year that won seven games. <laughs> seven coaching matters. And- and it's, you know, just been, a yeah, they've been a bottom team the last uh, three years or so. Uh, it's been a remarkable, remarkable job. Like, I'm blown away that we're in this conversation. And we talked about Coach of the Year in the American. I think, again, we look at the women's situation. Obviously, they could just give it to Gino, right? I mean, they could just give it to Gino Oriema. Uh, he wins another conference title. Some people now will snicker and say, well, wow, he's got the best players. True. Uh, some people actually thought they would lose a game this year, but whatever, be that as it may. Um, well, it came close a couple times. Tulane won, yeah. almost knocked them off. Um, if they don't go that route, then I think it's a, you know, one of two people. Uh, I think it's Tanya Cardoza. Let's give her some credit at Temple, ranked in the top 25 for the first time in a decade. You mentioned the Temple game. I was there. They've got a dynamic backcourt. I mean, they and I think that's what gave UCF some trouble in that game. Is the problem is when they they're back court, you really can't press them like coach would like to press like other teams that you've seen because their backcourt's that good mm-hmm. uh, and they could shoot from the perimeter and stuff. So they're very good. There's a reason why they finished second in the league uh, because they got some talented guards 
that really handle the basketball very well uh, with and really with that three guard offense that they run and they, you know Butts is one of their top guards they have there. Fountain is a junior guard that they like of Larry Temple. So they got, that's a good team. That's a really good basketball team. Uh, so when you look at the coach of the year, though, Cardoza, obviously, at Temple. Gino, obviously, will get vote. But I think uh, I think Abe needs to get the award uh, and hopefully gets it because, uh, let's be honest, I'm sure a lot of people thought UCF would be the worst team in the league probably at the, the beginning of the year. Uh, or, the or among them, certainly, I think. Right, with the improvements like Aaliyah Gregory, who could be, I think, will be the most improved player in the conference, could maybe get some consideration for conference, uh, all conference uh, teams. It's just remarkable during this position to where I think they're a lock for the WNIT. I think they're a lock. Uh, now, the WNIT, which is interesting, uh, is 64 teams compared to the men's NIT, which is 32. So. I think they're a lock. In fact, I'll give you this prediction. I think UCF uh, will end up playing the loser of Stetson and Florida Gulf Coast. Those are the two top teams in the ace sun. Interesting. And they're going to compete in the ace of tournament. Don't be surprised if they play in the NIT opening round there, uh, either at UCF or at Florida Gulf Coast or at Stetson, whoever loses that conference tournament. Also keep in mind, Stetson won the regular season title. And I mentioned that because – Head coach at Stetson, Lynn Bria. Bria. Yeah, former UCF head coach. Yes. Who And, and what's fascinating about that, because I, I know people within the UCF uh, side, there were some people that were pushing when the job opened for Lynn Bria to return. Uh, I think it's worked out for all parties. I think Coach Bria, obviously, with a great year at Stetson, and obviously with Coach Abe coming to UCF, uh, I think it's worked out for everybody. But – uh, I, I think they're in great shape. I, I think the Temple game, look, Temple's very good. Keep in mind, UCF's been playing a lot of basketball down the stretch, a lot of emotions, too. Had a win at USF, which was an emotional win. Uh, one at Tulane. You win recently in SMU on Saturday. Quick turnaround. Remember, Monday night was senior night. Um, so I, I think they're in good spot. I think they get the, the bye, which helps in the quarterfinals. And they're really in a huge game in the quarter in that matchup with Tulane, which is very interesting because Tulane has uh, moved up to the five seed, which kind of surprised me, Jeff, because you you and I both saw Cincinnati, and I was convinced that UCF and Cincinnati were going to play in a four versus five, and Cincinnati kind of fell apart yeah. at the end of the regular season and dropped a little bit, maybe maybe to their advantage because they're not in the UConn bracket as Coach Abe referenced it. Um, but the Tulane-UCF game is a big game because Tulane is in a must-win situation trying to improve their NCAA tournament uh, hopes. Their RPI has dropped to 63. I speak of Tulane. Uh, so they're going to be desperate to get a win there and try to get back in the conversation for the NCAA tournament. And if UCF were to beat Tulane, you mentioned the game's Saturday. If they win, now unfortunately they're going to get UConn. If there is a positive, though, that game on Sunday, they would play UConn in the semifinals on Sunday. That game will be nationally televised mm -hmm. on ESPN2, which I think is tremendous exposure for this program. Uh, so if they can get to that goal and play UConn on a Sunday on ESPN2, yeah, maybe the game won't go well. But to get that exposure and build that momentum uh, going into probably the WNIT and then into next year, I, I think would be huge for this program. It's been tremendous. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that the real, to me, the women's basketball team is the better, more satisfying, I think, story. Not to say that the men's team is not, or is not a, is not a good story. I just think that the way the women's team has come together this year is, is the better story. And what I'm really excited about is the fact that, you know, you're losing two seniors, only two. Okay. Now, granted, Zai Lewis, who has been amazing, by the way, in that SMU game, became UCF's all-time leader in three-point field goals in men's or women's history. She surpassed Jermaine Taylor for most threes made in a career in that game. So she's an all-time sharpshooter. Um, you're going to lose that. Boy, that's going to be hard to replace, right? You lose oh, Jocelyn yeah. Massey, but you can, you, you know, the the uh, the rebounding, the defense in the middle, but you can replace that. Zai's going to be a little bit tougher to replace, but you can find shooters. And uh, like you said, if they get, if they get to that point where they can play UConn on that Sunday afternoon, of course it's likely that they could that 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 you know UConn is going to do UConn things. But let's also not forget the fact that I thought UCF played fairly well against UConn in the game they played earlier this season when they hadn't quite figured themselves out. Gino himself said, you know, they're going to be a problem. And, uh, you know, they, they held UConn under, you know, they did hold UConn under 100 points. They forced UConn to go to zone in that game, which is something that they never do, um, to, you know, to counter some of the issues that UCF did present to them at a certain point, um, you know, during that game. So I, I think it's important, you know, again, remember, you know, you have to kind of manage your expectations a little bit. And, you know, but the fact that they are, you know, and, and you got to get through Tulane. I know Tulane's going Tulane's to be a tough team to beat because, like you said, they, they're looking at their resume. But interestingly enough, Eric, they're only four- almost knocked off UConn. By yeah. the way, let's not lose the fact that's a very they, good they, they, Tulane they, team that that I thought played a poor game at home against us. That's why we beat them. Yeah. But um, interestingly enough, though, only four teams in the finished the regular season in the American with winning records in the conference season: UConn, Temple, USF, and UCF. Tulane, SMU, Cincinnati, Memphis are all at, clustered at seven and nine. In fact, Tulane, SMU, and Cincy all have identical records conference and overall 16 and 13. So that tells me that UCF has actually outperformed most, not just their own expectations, but I think most of the actual conference in general. I mean, I saw USF in person. That's a good basketball team. We saw Temple. We know about UConn. And if you take away all, you know, everybody else who's, you know, basically, you know, below you, they're all below UCF at this point. That's a pretty impressive resume that UCF has put together at nine and seven in the conference, nineteen and ten overall. So I'm excited to see what they do uh, against uh, against Tulane in the uh, basketball championship. Remember that they play at noon on uh, March the fourth, which is let's say uh, Saturday. Say, Saturday, okay. So and that game will be, by the way, on uh, ESPN three or watch yep. ESPN, which you can see uh, with your uh, cable subscription. So. Sure. Um, you know, two and quick again, thoughts. Two yeah, quick, go ahead. Two quick thoughts on that. Uh, you mentioned the win total. I think, too, it's worth mentioning. You know, the, people may not be aware. This state 
is very good at women's basketball. I mentioned yeah. earlier about Stetson and Florida Gulf Coast. Florida Gulf Coast has been you know dominant, been a perennial in the NCAA tournament. Stetson right now winning the regular season title. Florida State, top 10, top 15 program. Uh, Miami's a top 15 program in the state. USF, you've seen them in person. It's a top 25 program. I think this year also, with that win, especially at USF, a signature win for Coach Abe, I think was a message that UCF now is going to get themselves in that conversation in this state for mm-hmm. women's basketball, for recruits, and for uh, quality basketball. Yeah, right where they want to be. You know, I, I think you're right. They, they, the signature wins this year for both programs, men's and women's, women's at USF, men's against Cincinnati. And now the secret's out, so what do you do? And then it comes down to managing expectations for next year. But one foot in front of the other. Women's against sure. Tulane in the conference, uh, in the conference championship yep. uh, on uh, Saturday at noon. And then, of course, the men Thursday against USF with a 20-win season on the line. Both teams with 20-win seasons on the line in their next game. So um, yep, we'll yep. see how they're Real able quick. to pull through there. Real quick before yep. we uh, move on, because we brought this up with the men's earlier, and this was brought up about the women, the attendance. Uh, they, you know, they asked me, and they wanted to ask you about it. My thing is I think the attendance with women's basketball is not a, quote, UCF issue. I think that's a women's college basketball issue. I think you go – if you look across the country except for certain places like Connecticut. Uh, Tennessee they have tro- and you know, places like right, that. Right, right. I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer. Do you have a, a solution, an answer on bringing more fans to women's basketball? Because I think it's a tough spot. Because you're going up against a lot of times, you know, it's men's basketball versus women's basketball, right? So a lot of people prefer men's basketball. They 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 prefer the above the rim action. Uh, a lot of times, people have you know are going to make the commitment, for example, to go to a men's game on a Sunday. Maybe won't don't want to come back the next night for back to backs. You know, and and I do think, and I've said this, I do think that women's basketball has lost viewers as far as women's sports. To softball, to women's soccer, to volleyball, and you've been involved with the volleyball. Um, and I would say at UCF that women's basketball is fourth behind uh, women's soccer, softball, and volleyball from a interest standpoint. But do you have a solution? Anything you you think could be done? Yeah, play UConn as much as humanly possible. <laughs> no, I mean that's that's kind of the, that's kind of the issue, right? Like they're the they're the they're the draw. They are the dominant. They're they're, they're the Beatles, well. The problem, right? <laughs> the problem. Well, but yes, but the problem is it's like predictable, right? It's like, well, well they're going to lose by forty fifty if you play UConn. Uh, I don't yeah, sense but everyone like everyone tunes in to see David Slay Goliath, and, and, uh, and there's always the chance that you can play. I think that the, I think that you know, for, from a UCF perspective, I don't know what the answer is from a general college basketball wide perspective. But because again, I don't think this is a UCF problem. I don't think this is a UCF problem. I don't think, oh, wow, why aren't UCF fans supporting women's basketball? I think this is across the country. I don't it, – it, if you want to say UCF's a part uh, – I mean, you were – let me ask you. You were at USF mm-hmm. uh, for the Cincinnati. What was the, the attendance there? They had a pretty good draw in the Sun Dome. I think they got about 3,000. And it was – right. but I'll tell you one thing. It was, it was an active and loud 3,000. And the reason why it was was because they play an exciting brand of basketball. You know, if you watch that game, it was, Jose it was, Fernandez, right, yes, right. it was up tempo. It was three point shooting. It was, um, it was like, it was like the most fun playground game you could possibly watch. And I was, you know, I was it, generally I was calling the game for the American Digital Network 
it was one of the mo- it was really one of the most entertaining games I've watched in a long right. time. And and that goes and that goes to the style of play. I think they've been trying to open up the style of play. Sure. I think they've been trying to make it a little bit more TV friendly. That's why they went to the four quarters, the shorter shot, which I like. I like. And I like I that do. too. I would not be surprised if the men's game goes that way. There's too. There's been chatter about that. Yeah. But yeah. um, but it comes down to style of play. And yeah. I think that you know, and, and you know, from UCF's perspective, that's where they're kind of caught in between a rock and a hard place. Because if you know, I think Coach Abe said this after the UConn game herself. You got an attract meet with them; they're just going to run you into the ground. They're going to score two hundred points on you, and and the key to beating UConn is to slowing them down, and that's what UCF tried to do. They tried to use the entire shot clock basically on purpose, and they still held them to you know eighty eight points. But um, yeah, it, it, I mean they still lost by quite a bit. But that you know UCF at least followed the game plan. I think when it, I think when UCF gets the kind of talent that Coach Abe wants, they're out there on the floor. Um, you know, when they get to a point where they can challenge UConn, like we said, they're fourth in the conference right now. If they get to the point where they're good enough to challenge UConn, that's when you're going to start to see the attention being paid by the UCF fandom because it's going to surround that, you know, oh boy, are we going to have a showdown with UConn? And it kind of reminds me of when we were in, when the men's team was in Conference USA. And you had there was everyone else, and then there was Memphis and Coach Calipari, right? And the yeah. casual fan looked at it and said, "Well, what are they going to do against Memphis? If they're competitive against Memphis, I'll start paying attention. But if they're not, then I'm not going to care." UCF has to get competitive and competitive with UConn. Now I know that's a tough ask. Okay? Yeah, I was going to say you could say that about the rest of the country. That's a I tough mean, ask that's because the... you know that because you know let's face it, they're going to trick you know. But but here's the thing. They're not going to keep winning games forever and in perpetuity, okay? So now it comes down to timing. Are they going to eventually come back down to earth? Are they going to, you know, like I think I mentioned this about men's basketball. Are they going to reenter the atmosphere again? And, uh, and if they do, and if you catch them at the right time in the next year or two, then you could, then you could kind of get the, the momentum kind of moving around your own program a little bit. Maybe not in terms of national talk. It'll you know, if let's say UCF defeated U- UConn, you know, upset them at some point, you know, it's going to make national news because UCF because UConn lost, not because UCF won, right? But at least around sure. here, all of a sudden, everyone says, "Wow, UCF women's basketball is for real." They beat UConn. We better start paying attention to this, and it's an up and it's an uphill battle the entire way. I think they should start. We should start paying attention to them now. Because I think this is a really good team that's extremely talented, and I think that they and I think that they're going to make some noise in the tournament up until the point that you know uh, that well. they that they get to UConn. And then I mean UConn is most likely going to do UConn things, um, but again in a one game situation, right, Eric? You never know. The thing I will say, in in fairness, and and I think Jose Fernandez has done a heck of a job at USF. I think one of the things that's helped them as far as the support over there is you mentioned the style play, but also it helps that the men's basketball program there has been a disaster. Uh, I think they've only made one NCAA tournament, uh, even during the Big East days, and that was Dan Heath. Um, And their program has been bad. And I think it's almost like, at the end of the day, people want to see a good product, and they don't want to see a bad product. And I think they've come to the women's, and the women's over there, they've been consistent. They've been, and I think that's one of the keys: is you have to be consistent. Yeah, they're, they're so people consistent. buy it. They're, they're consistent. They've been improving, but they. But yes. you're right. I think the key is they put an entertaining product on the floor. Sure. So it's a combination of those things. Right. 
Um, as far as UCF, I think they got to be consistent. They got to prove they can win again next year and stuff. And they, you know, they got to get that marquee player that people can talk, talk about. Uh, but I will say this because you've covered the program a long time. I mean, going back to Gail Striegler and mm-hmm. Joy Williams, you know, even when they won, there wasn't that oomph. And I do wonder, I just think that UCF with the women's soccer program, the way it is with the support they've gotten for years and the tradition and the history, uh, I, I think it's always going to be above women's basketball. Uh, I, I think volleyball, which you've seen with Coach Dagenet and stuff, and, and playing at the venue, uh, a, a great place to watch a volleyball match, mm-hmm. I think helps that product. Uh, with Coach Gillespie, what she's done with softball and the success they've had, I've seen a jump in the last four or five years. Uh, I mean, people bombard me with questions with softball that they didn't do it six, seven years ago. I do wonder – if women's basketball from a UCF fan standpoint can overcome all that, and if I wonder if as great as that CFE arena is playing, I know people don't want to hear that, but would they be better off playing at a place like the venue for basketball? You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, a more intimate place than instead of playing in a 10,000-seat stadium you know, uh, you arena. Know, that- you know, some some programs do do that. Yes. And I've yes. always wondered that. You know, I, I would love for them to do an experiment one day. You know, they used to – a couple years ago, I did PA for a, for a, a early season tournament when Joy Williams was the head coach that they did play in the venue because there was something going on in the arena. I don't know what it was. It might have been a convention right. or, I don't know, it could have been Yo Gabba Gabba for all I know. But I thought when I was in there, I was like, hmm, this place is a pretty good basketball Right. Well, you know, I mentioned I called the, you know, obviously it's called the venue, but this is a good basketball venue. And if you're only drawing, say at first, you know, two, three thousand or 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 maybe even less, pack them into a smaller place and turn that place into a real madhouse. You can get the students in there. um, Right. You can create you can sort of create demand. And you can and you and more importantly, for the product on the floor, you can turn that gym into a into a place that opponents fear coming to and i think that that yes. can work out in the long run if you said now they won't do it because no. the women's basketball team should you know rightfully should i think play in the arena but i think that it sh- it would be really interesting to see them play maybe a couple regular season games inside the venue just to just to see what the atmosphere well, would be like because it could, because we know from our student days it can get yes. loud in that place. And I and obviously well, we know that from volleyball too. We've had some matches yes. where they played USF and some other uh and and some other pretty good teams, you know, volleyballs and stuff like that, that that place can get really it it, it gets hot. It kind of it kind of reminds me of like, you know, the stories that they used to tell the old Boston Garden in that respect. How much a home how much of a home court advantage the Celtics sure. had during the Larry Bird era. And the venue could kind of be could kind of be like that if they ever decided to try that. I agree. I'm a proponent of that. And and I think part of the issue that women's basketball has is they want to be treated like the men's basketball program. And I, I think that's where you, you get. So as a result, you're going to get compared and you're going to lose that battle. One of the things and I've had this conversation with uh, Adam Schick, who, who calls women's basketball and women's softball for Florida, uh, the University of Florida. And he does women's soccer. And we've had this conversation, like, for example, and you know this women's volleyball. One of the things they did is they lowered the net. Uh, compared to what men's volleyball does. So they differentiate themselves a little bit. 
Uh, women's softball. If you look at softball versus baseball, they're completely different products. They're right. completely different sports. Softball has it's more of a small ball game. There's more strategy involved. They, they don't. They have the in, you know people have even they have dirt on the infield instead of grass. There's just a completely they different themselves. So as a result, there's not a direct comparison between the two products. Whereas I feel like I feel like if women's basketball did what you just said, if they put themselves in a venue. Uh, it would differentiate themselves. They would be different than the men's basketball. Instead of being in that same building like the men's is, I do think it would give them a, their own personality, give them their own uh, place, and I think it would help them uh, give them their own I- identity, if you will. I think where mm-hmm. women's basketball sometimes run into the problem is they're playing at the same t- places that the men's are, and you're just not going to – and they want to be compared like the men. They want to be treated like the men. And sometimes you just want to do something different. You got to give the audience and the customers – something different um and i agree with you i think a place like the venue would help a lot and i'll give you an example of that stetson you wouldn't have been to that building yeah, i've the been Edmund to that center building. in deland right yeah i was there when stetson women's basketball has played home games i saw them play ucf there and they've got a great stetson women's basketball fan support there and that place is tight you know it's small but it's, it's very comfortable and so as a result they're on top of the fans when they get really loud and i think that would help I think a lot of these women's basketball programs, not just the UCF thing, but other programs, uh, if they had a place that was intimate, more intimate, maybe, you know, instead of 10,000, 3,000, 5,000, like you obviously would have to study your numbers um, and, and what, you know, and then how you sell the UConn game. If, if, if you have a game like UConn, that could be the game you could play it at the big arena. Maybe you draw more people, but then it'll be unique. It's like, oh, hey, they're playing at the CFE arena. They're not playing at the uh, place. So, I mean, there's a lot of different venues, things they could do that I don't think they consider doing. I know Adam Schick has brought up the idea. What do you think about this? I know coaches don't like this idea, but he's brought up lowering the rim. So there you have more of a uh, – because people love the dunk, right? People love the above-the-rim action. And maybe if you lower the rim at women's basketball, that would draw more people. You buy into that? No, I don't buy into that quite as much. Okay. I, the, the the ball is already smaller, you know, that, yeah. right? So very good point. Yeah, yeah, good point. So, so good I, call. you know, I I wouldn't no, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with the rim. Then 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 you're then it's like okay, do we do we shorten the three point line? No. Do we shorten? You know, do do we do other things to the side of the court? No. Keep the rim the way it is. I think that you know from a you know what is what is conducive to helping UCF win more basketball games. I think. A better environment, a better fan environment, would certainly help. But you know, then again, they could just keep winning games, and then you don't have to worry about you know where do they play because they'll end up because they could they could start selling more tickets to the big arena. So we'll see how it goes. They got their game against um, uh, uh, Tulane on Saturday to open up the tournament. Make sure you follow the American Athletic Conference tournament uh, at the American. Uh, .org, and also those games will be televised on ESPN3. You know, we've gone over an hour in this first segment. Basketball fever, baby. I know, it's man. March it's, Madness. It's, 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 we're recording this on Wednesday, March the 1st. It's March, but we got a lot more to talk about. We're going to talk. Stick around, because coming up next, we're going to talk some track and field, UCF winning the American Indoor Championships, and we're also going to talk about, uh, about uh, softball and baseball and some of the new facilities plans coming up as well, that were released by Danny White this week. Stick around. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Back after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. 
You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And we're back here at the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez. We're going to talk track and field and a historic week for UCF head coach Jeanette Bolden. The Knights win the American uh, Indoor Championships held in Birmingham, Alabama earlier this week uh, at the Birmingham Crossplex. This is indoor track and field. So in the spring, the track and field season, they split it up into two halves, indoor and outdoor. Uh, Anne-Marie Blaney was the most outstanding track performer of the meet. Um, She earned 26 of UCF's 112 points. Uh, She won the 5K. She placed second in the mile and the 3K. Um, This is the first indoor championship for UCF since 2013 when they were back in Conference USA. And uh, also three points for uh, UCF in the uh, War on I-4 rivalry series because we beat out um, uh, USF in the overall standings. We were down by 15 points to Cincinnati heading into Saturday. Cincinnati's very good. And, uh, and, then, you, and, and then the results kept coming in. And this is from, you know, this is from the release on UCFnights.com. Uh, Natasha Jordan, a freshman, uh, finished second in the high jump. Uh, she set a personal best. Blaney closed the gap with, uh, with, with her performance in the mile. Rosie Chamberlain, a junior, added some more points by finishing fifth in the 400 meters. And then, uh, you know, we had, you know, we mentioned John A. Whitaker, uh, who won uh, the 60-meter hurdles. Uh, she, th- th- that helped UCF out big time. Uh, Janae Bellamy uh, defended her 60-meter dash title, and that added 20 points to UCF score. And uh, and then it came down to the uh, to the final uh, relay. Uh, UCF had a six point lead, uh, and uh, and they got enough points in the uh, four by four hundred meter relay to clinch the championship by just two points over Cincinnati. Houston finishes third in ninety nine. Uh, Cincinnati at one twenty. UCF at one twenty two. So uh, wow, what a uh, what a performance by UCF. With individual titles in, let's see, one, two, three, four, four events, and uh, and they take home the conference, the American Athletic Conference indoor title for the first time since being a member of the American. How about that for Jeanette Bolden, huh? Big, right? And this has kind of been long coming, right? She's kind of built the slow process when she took over the program. Uh, you know, to maybe took a step backwards to make it better from an overall program standpoint, right, Jeff? Because Coach right. Gilbert had a lot of success in the tracks and in the sprints, right? But they weren't strong in other areas of track and field. And whereas I think Bolden wants an overall, and I think you're seeing an example. We just saw an example of that, right, with this performance, right? Yeah, I think so. And and, listen, those of you who are old track and field people like me who appreciate the history of United States track and field in the Olympics, Jeanette Bolden's a familiar name. You know, she's a former gold, she's an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, going back to the 1984 uh, Los Angeles Games, um, she's a con- she's a contemporary of names like you know uh, Florence Griffith Joyner, 
Um, Jackie, you know, she raced alongside, or, or she performed alongside people like Jackie Joyner Kersey. She knows that that whole, she, she's in that sort of extended family of great UCF track and field, or UCF, great USA track and field athletes. And she has brought that experience to UCF coming over from what was her alma mater at UCLA, and it is now paying dividends. And now I'm really excited to see what the, um, what the, uh, and by the way, she, you know, Jeanette, um, was uh, the 2008 uh, U.S. Olympic women's head coach. You know that that says something uh, for, in terms of you know what you know what it means to be underneath her tutelage. You know, such a great sprinter and someone who coached the Olympic team. So you know, she's won national championships at UCLA, and now I think UCF is on the cusp of really making some noise um, in the track and in women's track and field. Uh, nationwide. Now the schedule looks like this because now we're going to head to the um, to the outdoor season. Um, the uh, which, by the way, the NCAA championships are going to be held not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. The indoor championships uh, at in College Station, Texas, at Texas A and M, March tenth and eleventh, Friday and Saturday. Um, and uh, a note on that. Um, Anne-Marie Blaney will represent UCF at the indoor track and field NCAA championships as she did qualify for the 5K. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and then it's the outdoor season. UCF's got a couple home meets, by the way, Black and Gold Challenge on St. Patrick's Day and the day after. They go to the Pepsi Relays at Florida. Uh, and then uh, they got a couple other events taking place. Um, around the country, they're heading out to California for a few meets in Torrance, California. They're going out to Tempe, Arizona, San Diego, hotbed of track and field out there. Before coming home, uh, for the uh, or before coming back home, so they have one last meet in Florida at the Tom Jones Memorial uh, in Gainesville. That's in late April before the American Championships for the outdoor in uh, mid-May. So the outdoor season, they're going to really test themselves by heading out west, which is going to be fun, I think, to see. Um, but again, one track and field meet in the outdoor season. That's March 17th and 18th in Orlando. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. I'm looking forward to seeing what Coach Bolden's crew does uh, out west in some of those regular season outdoor meets, aren't you? Yeah, I, and I think more success is coming, don't you? I mean, I know. Oh, I think yeah. This it is feels like it, it really feels like, you know, of all the sports, we talk about the resurgence of basketball and um, and, and football this year, but. I feel like track and field is on the verge of something really special under Coach Bowden right now. I'm all for it. Let's yeah. roll with it, baby. Run it up. All right. Let's, uh, we got some, uh, well, not really breaking news, but semi-breaking news. Let's go over to baseball. They are at 7-1 and one under Greg Lovelady right now. Off to a very good start. Um, and fresh off of a sweep of Manhattan this past weekend where they won uh, 13-3, 10-1, and 7-2, just Throttled Manhattan, 20 runs in two games, in three games. Uh, went up to Florida, lost by a run uh, on Tuesday, the last day in February, February 28th. But then, you know, literally minutes before we started recording, defeating Florida uh, today by a final score of 11-2 at um, the UCF Baseball Stadium, which is what they're calling it now. Um, what a game for UCF. Uh, now at 8-1, and one, they defeat number two ranked Florida, depending on the uh, poll that you're looking at. Joseph Sheridan gets the win. Local kid. Local kid. Yes. Um, 71 pitches. Gave up uh, 
One earned run, four hits, walked one, struck out four, looked very good. Uh, Michael Byrne gets the loss for uh, for U.S. Another local kid, battle yeah. of local kids. Yeah. Yeah. But you were talking about, Eric, how this is, you know, this is a midweek game. Yeah. And, uh, yes, it's good that you – it's always good. Listen, listen, don't get us wrong, Knight fans. It is always a good thing when UCF beats Florida, okay? It is never a bad thing. It is always a good thing, okay? But, you know, let's, let's also be honest here. This is a midweek game, I, and I think that Florida – it looked like Florida kind of was like, ah, let's just let's just get well. This. Uh, for, that for kinda, those that, that kind of pisses well, me off a little bit, but go ahead. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing. College baseball, uh, their best pitchers are on the weekend. The weekend rotations, like Florida, like Alex Fredo, they got a bunch of guys. They just beat Miami. That are going to go in the MLB draft to pitch on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and Kevin O'Sullivan doesn't like to use his best arms during the midweek, uh, like most don't. But he, him, especially, especially they're in conf, you know, when they're playing the FCC and stuff. Uh, so he likes to throw out a freshman and young kids and all that stuff. Uh, so when people look at the scores, let's not – they didn't face the top three Florida pitchers. So let's not uh, – uh, we're not going to Omaha just yet, ladies. That's what I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. We're not going to Omaha based on one win against Florida. And remember, UCF two years ago beat Florida as well and mm-hmm. didn't even make the tournament. So uh, – but – so let, let's calm down for those that are like throwing parades because they, you know, they all they outplayed Florida in the two midweek games. Look, Florida lost to Jacksonville uh, a week ago as well. In a midweek so, game. Midweek game, and, and look, this state is tough, man. From a from a in state yeah. battle, the talent. Every game in a midweek, you know, when Florida is playing, you know, Jacksonville and UCF and US, it's a big game. USF just beat Florida State recently in a midweek game. So. Uh, it, it those you know you, those teams are going to be geared up for those games. Uh, the thing I like so far is the UCF pitching. I, I think Jeff, they've got some arms. I, I Sheridan looked yes, pretty good. Because the one thing I will say, I mean, we could talk about the pitching and and who's pitching and who's not pitching in midweeks, but you still have talented hitters on that Florida lineup. And I thought Sheridan was very good, and I thought UCF as a staff was very good against Florida's hitting over those two games, and they've been very good so far, led by Robbie Howe on the weekend and Pimentel. And how about the kid Barr uh, on the weekends? I know the competition hasn't been great on the uh, on the weekends, but I feel like this pitching staff has their roles, which has been a criticism of the previous regime of do they know their roles? Do they know what what you know when they're coming in and things like that? This team is clearly bought into Coach Lovelady, uh, and and I think he knows what he's doing. He's obviously a proven coach, and I think this team is improved, and I would not be surprised if this team challenges to make the NCAA tournament because they're going to get opportunities to win games like that against the Florida, against the Florida State, who they have next week on a midweek in Miami. And then when they get in the conference, that's where the proof will be in the pudding, uh, as they like to say. So, But look, I mean, you have to be encouraged so far from what you've seen. I think it's an improved team. From last year, um, some it was good to see some of the hitters coming on, uh, especially with the big game against Florida at home. Now they did leave a lot of runners on base in the loss in Gainesville, and you wonder mm-hmm. if that's going to be the the key to the season. Is can these guys deliver uh, cash in with runs on uh, runners on base? Right? Because we've Isn't had that questions. Always the question. <laughs> sure, but that's I mean this offense, right? Because it wasn't a very good offense last year. Right. And it's pretty much the majority. You know, they lost some guys. Now, I, the fact that they got Kyle Marsh, they got Marsh back. Uh, in Marsh the had a three-run double tonight. By the way, that was a big hit. That sort of and, sort of clinched the game. 
Absolutely. And I, I'm a big fan of his, you know, it was unfortunate he went down with the injury last year. I know they have high hopes for him as a pitcher, but I think he's a talented hitter and infielder, uh, a player. And if we can keep him healthy with his bat, I think he's a big part of that. Eli Putnam has been good. So, uh, look, lots of positives, uh, huge win against Florida. Now they cannot have a letdown. You got what Stony Brook coming up this weekend, I believe. And I should, you got I should also note that Marsh also had a home, a two run homer in this game too. So this, I mean, a big I'm game you, for him tonight against Florida. And they missed him last year. They missed him last year. And that kind of went under the radar. Uh, he missed all of last year with the injury. And I, I think that kind of got under the radar, but that was a huge loss for this team. I, I, I think this kid's a special, I think this kid's going to end up in the big leagues, uh, at, at least compete to get a cup of coffee in the big leagues. I really do. I think this kid's that talented. Now he's got to stay healthy. He's got to be healthy. That's a big part. But uh, I, I think this team with Lovelady, they're going to maximize. The one thing I'm confident in is that Lovelady will maximize whatever potential that roster has this year. Don't right. you? Yeah, I, I think so, because I think that they're relaxed now. I think that that's the thing yes. that we talked about, you know, when we interviewed him uh, a couple couple weeks ago. And uh, and I think it certainly shows well, a couple of things that I thought was really impressive. You mentioned Marsh, by the way, his his tally tonight, three of five at the plate. Two doubles, a homer, six RBIs. Yeah, um, I think he's the real deal. Yeah, I really do. He's off to a great. He's off to a great start. The pitching this year so far, uh, through eighty innings, they have a total combined team ERA of one point nine one, and a strikeout to walk ratio of ninety one to nineteen. So that's four about four point five to one strikeouts to walks. And uh, you mentioned the hitting. Uh, Marsh right now is at 382, but right now you got I, uh, the guy I'm looking at right now. Luke Hamblin is through. Is he started yeah. all nine games? He's hitting 500. He's off to a 15 for 30 start with eight runs batted in, uh, and he has been getting stuff done uh, at the plate. So, uh, so, so like uh, off to a very very hot start. Yeah. I think the bats are and and the arms are as well. Now, granted, the competition. Right, you played against Siena. You played against six six games total against Siena and Manhattan, but right. you got Stony Brook coming up. So the, a little bit, a little bit of a tougher test. The Stony Brook's a pretty good program. So, uh, so I'm well, interested and, to see how that how that shakes out. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm glad you brought up the strikeout to walk ratio because what that tells you is that they're pounding the strike zone. They're getting ahead of hitters. Something that's been a bugaboo for this program the last couple of years is throwing yeah. strikes. Well, because guys uh, have been running out of gas. Yes, and, and and so that's the thing I'm excited is I think there's some arms here, and uh, you know you look at the American Conference, you know, I think UCF has a shot to compete there with Houston, for example, who's probably one of the favorites, if not the favorite in the league. Uh, I think USF is another, and I know people don't want to hear that on this podcast, but USF, I'm telling you, they had a lot of injuries last year, and they've got both of those guys back, and I think USF's going to be another force in baseball there uh, with Kingston, the head coach there, who obviously has a relationship with Lovelady. Both, of course, coach the, you know, both coming from the University of Miami and the Jim Morris tree. Uh, I think I think the UCF-USF baseball, and they play six times, keep that in mind, uh, that's going to be a fun six games because they mm-hmm. got some talented arms at USF that's healthy, uh, and, and they're going to be up. So I think you could see a, a baseball, and I know you covered the, uh, the baseball for the digital network. You'll be at Clearwater. I would not be surprised, Jeff, when you get to Clearwater in May, that UCF and USF are both big factors in that conference tournament because I think the, both programs are in the right, heading in the right direction. 
Yeah, I, 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 I was really looking forward to it. I just really hope that this trajectory continues. I know it's going to be I do, tough. I think you know, it will. Seven I, and two. You know, sure. when you get to conference play, things do change. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that this could be. Oh man, this. Uh, I, I, I do feel that the way that Greg Lovelady is managing the pitching staff is the thing that we're yes. going to look back at and say, "Wow, that's the big difference. That's what has yep. moved UCF uh, from where they were." To where they are, I think that's going to make a big uh, that that that's going to make a big difference going forward, especially when we get down to April and May. By the way, uh, thirty over thirty eight hundred at the game for the Florida game win, uh, third largest I believe uh, uh, crowd I saw on on social media, third largest crowd ever at the stadium. Um, obviously, uh, a, lot, a lot of orange and blue is a factor. Mayor Buddy Dyer at the game, yeah, Jeffrey. Buddy Dyer was there. That's right. Catching the game. Interesting to see what they draw. And you got Florida State coming for two games. The Tuesday night game's a 6.30. Wednesday's a 4 o'clock game because it's a getaway day. So, obviously, the big draw attendance-wise will probably be that Tuesday night game. It'll be interesting to compare those two. But it'll be another opportunity for them as well, another challenge for them as they compete against FSU. And, look, I mean, that's the key. If you can split these games against these teams, that will, you know, helps you on the resume a little bit. That, you know, it doesn't hurt to have Florida and Florida State on the resume. But, it's not the end-all, be-all. Uh, you've got to win your weekend games. You've got to keep getting better. And I think that's the key. So it's early, but positive signs. And glad that, you know, hopefully people come out to see the program more than just Florida or Florida State. You know, get to see them later on in the year. So we'll see. Let's talk about softball real quick because they had the big uh, Alabama tournament up in, up in Tuscaloosa. Uh, yeah. Five games. They finished three and two at the Easton Bama Bash. Um, the two games they lost were to Alabama, one of them four to nothing, uh, the other one three to two to close out the tournament. But impressive performances in the two games against Gardner Webb, winning those two by a combined score of 14 to one and then dropping 13 runs on Texas Tech uh, in a 13 to four victory. Eric, you follow this closely. What was the evaluation uh, in the after the end of that five game weekend? Success, I think. And, and let's add to the fact they beat Florida Gulf Coast on Wednesday in yes. Fort Myers. I, I, I regret neglecting that. Yeah, 5-1 to one well, in Fort Myers. So that concludes their trip. It was supposed to be a 10-game trip that started in California, went to Tuscaloosa, and it concluded in Fort Myers. Uh, they had two games washed out in California. They went 5-3 and three on the trip. Uh, the three losses were to top 10 teams, Alabama twice at Alabama in their backyard. You mentioned it, one of them being three to two, mm-hmm. one run game. The other one was a one nothing loss to UCLA up in California. So I think it was a success, to be honest with you. I, I, I'll be honest. I, I didn't think they would go five and three on this trip or, you know, I, I think with the youth, you just never know how they're going to handle the road. But I thought they handled themselves well, and it goes back to California. They won that Cal Poly game in extra innings. They gave UCLA all they can handle, one nothing. And we talked about it last week. I told you that Aaliyah White and Calixto would gain confidence from that. Aaliyah White has pitched well from that point on. She got the win against Florida Gulf Coast. She's I mentioned been another workhorse, man. She's throwing a lot of games. She's getting stronger, too. I'll throw another name, though. Freshman Cameron Tony, uh, kid out of Georgia. Really pitched great in relief for that Alabama game on Sunday. Really, UCF could have won that game. They had a bases loaded situation in the sixth inning. Didn't deliver that hit against an All-American pitcher in Osario, which not many people do. But I, I thought that was a lot of positive encouragements there from this young group of, of girls here. Uh, I think they're building the pitching staff with White. You got the senior Calixto, and I think Tony has proven that she can get them some out uh, quality innings. And I think uh, the thing I was most pleased about in Tuscaloosa is finally – 
uh, you saw the offense kind of come around a little bit, right? Because we yeah. saw them both in, in Orlando. They kind of scuffled and struggled, and you just didn't yeah, the know. They're were, all, the know. bats were asleep when they when they were home, and, and they finally woke up. Correct. And, and Courtney Roden had a phenomenal uh, weekend in Tuscaloosa. Uh, in fact, it earned her conference player of the week in the American Conference. I don't think Patrick Murphy, the head coach of Alabama, ever wants to see Courtney Roden again. <laughs> because in two, I think she has like seven hits against Alabama in three career games now. She going eats back Bama to last, pitching for lunch. <laughs> she does. No, I mean, I mean, she went four for four in 2016 and last year when they knocked off Alabama, and she had a big weekend against them again. Uh, but the big thing that's encouraging, because Courtney Roden is the best hitter on this team, period. Right. Probably the best you know offensive player they have. The question is, who would help her around there? And that's what we're starting to see a little bit. Autumn Gillespie hit a home run in the Alabama game. Uh, the freshman uh, Glover, who's now kind of settled in into the leadoff spot a little bit, uh, has been productive, hit a two-run homer in, in one of the wins against Gardner-Webb. You know, Aubrey Johnson starting to hit. These freshmen, that's the thing, Jeff, they're so young. Seven true freshmen on this roster. Six of them have played. Uh, a lot of new faces on offense and pitching, obviously. So you just don't know when, you know, when does it come around? For some, it's faster. For some, it's slow. But there, you see the potential that they have and why the talent is there. Now, now they come home for 19 straight games at home. They play at home from March 3rd to March 29th. The next time they step on a on a flight won't be until conference uh, in the, the first weekend of April, April 1st through the 3rd when they go to Greenville. So uh, now they got an opportunity here with 19 straight games at home to be comfortable to still get getting better and improving and get more reps and get experience. And, and really, in my opinion, have an opportunity to get ready for conference, which I think is as wide open as it's been since the American Conference uh, you know, was created. Because you look at the American Conference right now, USF, uh, the big news, kicked off the reigning American Conference Player of the Year. Julie Weber no longer is on the team. Uh, we don't know the reasons why, hmm. but nonetheless, she is no longer on the team. She she uh, she is no longer on the team, and uh, that's a huge loss because she was a tremendous talent at center field defensively and their lead offensively, a tremendous weapon. So that's a huge loss for them, who already lost Erica Nunn to graduation, who is the pitcher of the year. So they've got some questions over there at USF. Tulsa's got some questions that they're trying to resolve over there. So this league is wide open, and, and there's not – UCF has an opportunity with Aaliyah White, and and this has been the key to Coach Gillespie's success over the years, is to have the best pitching staff in the conference. And if they can do that, they have a shot to win the league. And with White, you mentioned being a workhorse, getting better by each game she throws. you got a vet in Calixto as a senior two years, and then Tony. If they can get those three to click, they might have the best pitching staff in the in the conference, and if they do that, they have a chance to win the league, which would be remarkable considering the roster turnover on right. this team with all 10 graduations from the seniors and, and the freshmen and all the young talent. Um, I thought it was a very positive road trip for them, and you hope they can build on it. they got to build on it now uh, on the, at home, and we'll see how they handle that, right? Because there's always that sports analogy, right, Jeff, that the hardest thing to win is like, when you that first home game or home series after a lengthy road trip, right? Yeah, that's always the challenge, and I think that's the challenge for this team this weekend when they take on uh, Providence. They'll take on Florida Gulf Coast again uh, at home as they begin this lengthy homestand, but a very important homestand. But I, I thought it was a lot of encouragement and positives that came out of this trip. 
Yeah, so I'm I'm hoping that you're right about that because you know they, here's what they got coming up next: this UCF Invitational at home, like you said, Providence and Florida Gulf Coast Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Providence, Florida Gulf Coast, and then Providence again at the UCF Softball Complex, and then they got James Madison coming in on Wednesday, and JMU is actually pretty good too. So, uh, so this homestand coming up is going right. to be a, is going to be a pretty tough one for. UCF. But the good thing is they don't have to go on the road again until March 31st uh, when co- again in conference against East Carolina. So uh, uh, so a lot of home games coming up for uh, UCF softball in the next uh, in the next month here. So all right. So that brings us to some big administrative news uh, at UCF. Uh, what was released this week uh, by Danny White it's called Our Vision. And uh, you can see the actual link out here. Um, UCF actually put out this really, you want to talk about some artist renderings out here for uh, some uh, massive uh, improvements to the UCF athletics facilities. There's a video out there, really impressive stuff. Here's the laundry list of stuff that they want to do uh, that Danny White has said that they want to do. Uh, we're get, now, obviously, there's you know Ken Dixon, um, Donated $5 million over the next 10 years. Uh, and they're going to name this the, Ken Dix, the Kenneth G. Dixon uh, Athletics Village. There are going to be a lot of enhancements, you know, so, you know, sort of small things, you know, in terms of like landscaping and things like that. But in addition to that, they're going to get the football operations expansion and athletics headquarters building, which is going to go between the field house and the, um, and the, uh, Wayne, the new Wayne Dench Center. That's $2 million. Uh, committed to that. John Juliano Park, which is going to be the baseball expansion and renovation uh, starting after the conclusion of this baseball season. $2 million committed to that. $1 million committed to the uh, Garvey Center for Student Athlete Nutrition, which is going to be um, where the, um, what do you call it, in the, on the south end of the football stadium, the, um, where, where the, uh, the training table would be, the sort of the, 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 the recruit center over there, that's going to be ter- turned into the Student Athlete Nutrition Center. Um, one million dollars committed to that. Here's what they want to do: they want to develop the, they want to build a new UCF Basketball Excellence Center, which is going to be a, a new sort of a renovation of the area in between the venue and the arena, the and CFE Arena to sort of make it like a really big sort of basketball, um, uh, really really give UCF basketball a home there. All right. Um, there, there's going to be a new, uh, completely renovated plaza and promenade, um, leading, you know, in, in, in the, sort of that area in between the Wayne Dench Center, the Nicholson Fieldhouse, and the football stadium. There's going to be this thing called, that they call the Recovery Cove, which is basically a, <laughs> a lazy river, a pool, and what looked like a miniature golf course right at, on the south, uh, eastern corner of where the football stadium is. That looks really impressive. Enhancements to the Nicholson Fieldhouse. Uh, video boards at UCF Baseball, Softball, and Soccer and Track Complexes. Boy, are those badly needed. Uh, enhancements to UCF Softball Complex. And uh, further enhancements to the Track and Field and Soccer Complex as well, kind of expanding on that. A lot in the pipeline. Now, a lot of this, uh, a lot of this stuff is pending approval by the Board of Trustees, in particular, the park expansion, the, the baseball field expansion, and the uh, student-athlete nutrition. But here's the trick. Danny White has gone all in and said, look, we need, in order to make this all happen, we need $25 million. Smart thing that he, do, that, he did that other athletic 
departments around the country have done. You never make the big ask until you already got plenty of plenty of stuff sort of in the bank. So $10 million has been committed to UCF facilities as of right as of February 24th. So all of a sudden you look at it and you're like, okay, we need $25 million. Well, actually, no, we don't we only need $15 million going forward to make these facilities happen. So you're already 40% of the way there. Have you taken a look at the stuff? What do you think? Yeah, no, I haven't had a chance to study it in depth like you did, Jeff, but uh, just kind of glanced at it a little bit. But uh, look, I mean, it's the name of the game in college athletics, right? It's all about facilities, right? I mean, it doesn't matter the sport, doesn't matter if you want to compete at the highest level, you got to have the the best facilities around for the student athletes, right? Isn't that the name of the game? <laughs> that's well, at least, at least that's what they're telling us. Um, yeah. I, I'm really, I'm really impressed with you know, sort of the infrastructure for everything is kind of already there. There's a lot of detail work that's kind of involved in this. But I think that there are some facilities that have kind of been a little bit, I don't want to say neglected, but could use a little, you know, a, a little bit more TLC. Um, and then, uh, then they've gotten in recent times. And, uh, and I think now is certainly the time to uh, do it. I think Danny White, you know, this is his, this is right here is his baby. I think um, getting this major capital fundraising going in order to make this massive expansion and really set you. Isn't this the biggest a, reason? Isn't this the biggest reason why Dr. John Hit, who by the way just celebrated his 25th anniversary? Yes, with congratulations the to Dr. Hit. Uh, isn't this the biggest reason why Danny White's here? I mean, yeah. we, we we could talk about this was the, because of his ability to uh, raise money for the program yeah. and for the university. That's, that's, that's why, what. Yeah. That, that, listen, if you're an AD in the year 2017, your job is to is to is to make your athletic department money through fundraising. And uh, and I think that he's gone about this the right way. He's he's reached out to um, well-off UCF alumni who um, yeah, and made them feel you know like they 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 can contribute something important. And uh, we've seen the re- we know how the revenue trend is going to go with you know how UCF's student population expanded in, during the time that we were there. So yeah, I mean this is this is Danny White's bread and butter. This is what he was brought here to do, right? You know, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do, particularly with, um, you know, sort of getting this sort of office space and, um, and, and the, you know, they talk about like these excellent centers, but really what they are is, you know, expanded office space, weight rooms and, um, you know, film rooms and, um, and extra practice sort sort of practice areas for these, uh, complex. And the other thing too, that's going to be nice. And I think, you know, for the, especially for the people who work there, uh, you know, friends of ours, I, I think when this administration building, finally happens that's going to be in between the Wayne Dench complex and the Nicholson Fieldhouse they'll finally be able to move all of the uh, administrative and marketing and sports information personnel um, over from the old Wayne Dench Center you know 38 and 39 which is all the way on the exact opposite side of campus over to where the athletics building is or where the athletics complex is that they're going to be calling it now so um, or the athletics village and uh, and that's going to make things a lot easier for the folks that are working there, folks that we've known for a long time. And that's going to be um, a lot of fun, make things a lot more efficient, I think, because sometimes that can be, you know, when you're working there, it's kind of a pain in the neck when you had to go back and forth between, you know, the Wayne, De- the old Wayne Dench Center and basically the, ev- everything around the surrounding the new Wayne Dench Center. But, you know, wow, it's pretty amazing to see, you know, like how much has really um, happened over on that side of campus since we were students. I mean, remember when we started out there, we were freshmen. <laughs> We had just the we had just the arena, and then we had the soccer field, 
And then we and then the baseball stadium had just happened. They just finished the softball stadium. And that's it. Yeah, it is kind of crazy where we're at now, where we're even talking about what jumbotrons and uh, video boards and, and uh, lazy all, rivers all stuff. It's just kind of crazy. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and, 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 so and we'll some people have the future. By the way, I saw a little bit of um, complaining on social media about like, oh, I'm glad that so glad that everything is, you know, you know, my uh, my uh, money is going towards a um, lazy river for the athletic department. First of all. You don't know what you're talking about because guess what? That lazy river is played for pay, is being paid for with private donations. All right, so stop it. Your tuition money is not going to a freaking lazy river. That's dumb. I mean, whoever said that is dumb. But <laughs> but again, like if you want to, you know, listen. We've been saying this. Like, we're supporters of UCF athletics. You and I both are. We have been since we were students. You know, this is the this is this this is the game that we're playing now, and I'm happy to see that UCF is going to be. You know, not just caught up to other schools that are sort of in their neighborhood, but I think leading schools that, are, you know, not just uh, they're going to be among the leaders, certainly, I think, in the state in terms of facilities. At least that's what they're trying to go for. And definitely in terms of, you know, comparison within the conference. And that's what they're going for. So um, I'm really impressed. With it. You got to check out some of these renderings, man, because this, this is like this is like kid in a candy store type stuff. One of the things they mentioned was softball improvements. We know that there's baseball improvements coming. Right. What, you, what is? I, I, I didn't see any details on what they were going to do with softball, but I'm curious to know from your perspective, as someone who knows the softball program well. So, what are some of the things that you think need to be, um, are are due to be sort of improved upon, fixed, renovated with the softball stadium? Well, I think I know a video, a new scoreboard, <laughs> which seems to be the theme, right? Yeah. Um, the the one at crazy. the baseball stadium wasn't working today. Did you see that for the for the Florida game? Yeah, yeah, they've had issues with that this season. Um, so both of them could use a new one. But I mean, it's crazy. It sounds. I mean, I all, I've been to all these other softball stadiums. They have video uh, board, uh, scoreboards now. They have jumbotrons. I mean, that's you know that's the name of the game in the recruiting battle. So you need that. Uh, I think expanding the seats. Because this program has grown to the point where when you're playing Florida and you're playing Florida State and the Alabamas of the world and you're playing top competition, uh, I've seen a lot of standing room capacity. Uh, yeah. you know, and it, it, you're almost limiting yourself because you know it, it, it's a tough act because you don't want fans to just watch the game in the outfield for free, right? But so I, I could you know, I think expanding the seats are good. I think they could see expanding the press box a little bit. Um, to possibly help you host regionals down the postseason. I'm sure baseball would feel the same way in their situation. So I, I, I think it's kind of both sides would probably tend to agree on that. Um, I think the big thing, too, with all these moves, your goal is help your all your teams get better, but also it helps your brand better. So you never know, 10, 20 years from now, you know, if people decide to change, you know, make some changes in conferences, now you become more attractive than maybe you yeah. were at the present. And if and even if that's not an option, you're, you're trying to bring more revenue internally. And, and so I give them credit for that as well. So I, I, there's a lot of goals here. Hopefully it works out. I am a booster officially. So <laughs> actually, that, that makes, <laughs> I don't, that makes am I the one? But I'm not a, I'm not a part of the river guy. That know? makes that makes the two of us, by the way, as yeah. of this week, too. So I'm glad <laughs> to disclose that to everybody. <laughs> All right. So uh, as we finish up here, Eric. By the way, I'll have the I'll post the video in the uh, show on the show page on blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, what do you have uh, coming up this week, Eric? 
Well, we got to mention softball, right? They're back home this weekend, uh, and I'll be back on the booth there. Uh, in fact, I think I'm calling my like 400th game this weekend. I think it's oh, gonna be a little milestone sap- action for Eric. Yeah, I have been doing calculations. Ten years in the booth. When, when is uh, when is game number five hundred going to be? Is that going to is that that's going to be in the twenty nineteen <laughs> season? I'm guessing, right? I, I just want to get through like this weekend and next week, and then I'll worry about I know, that. I, down. I, I know exactly how you feel. It's like just get me through this weekend <laughs> yeah. without without <laughs> without saying anything dumb. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That could maybe stop halt the, the count. You know. Right. Uh, but no, yeah, I'm looking forward to be back out there. I'll be out there this weekend. Uh, calling the action to, for that weekend, and uh, you know, I'll be calling pretty much the entire homestand. So, yeah. uh, looking forward to seeing this team continue to grow. So that's where I'll spend most of my uh, next few weeks. Really, uh, we'll be doing that. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm producing Tuck and O'Neill and uh, uh, weekdays on the 1080 in Orlando. We're also on in Gainesville and Ocala. So uh, that's right. We're we're mapping the world. So that's where you can find me on Twitter on Eric Lopezilla. I will be uh, doing PA for the Friday game. Uh, for UCF softball, go. that is the Providence game, uh, 3 p.m. first go. pitch for that. So, looking forward to that. And You're bringing course, the food, huh? No, no, I didn't. I, I, uh. I'm not planning on it this time. You know what? I, that was such a big hit. I'm going to disappoint some people because I brought uh. some leftover. Uh, I, I had some. Uh, what was it? I, I had some. I brought over some homemade nachos, chicken and beef nachos last time. And and you know, Gina Catalano over there, who who runs marketing for softball, she's going to be upset with me because I don't have any food with me for this Friday. So I don't know what I'm going to do. I, I got to make it up to everybody somehow. But anyway, um, but yeah. So so I'm going to have that coming up. I got a couple more softball games coming up to do in PA uh, as well. And and huge thanks to Gina. And I wanted to th- uh, also thank uh, Chris Walsh for uh, from UCF Marketing, who was kind enough to uh, let me do some women's basketball PA this year. And uh, I had a blast doing that and watching that team grow throughout the course of the year. So thank you to Chris. And uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing what UCF basketball does. And you never know. You never know. We might uh, – boy, wouldn't it be cool if we if we hosted a postseason game? That would be pretty neat. So, um, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen with that. So I have no idea. I don't think anyone really does at this point. I think they're just trying to get through that two-lane game and then see what happens. But uh, all right, Eric. And you said Eric Lopez, Elo on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow That's me right. at yep. Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. Follow us at UCF underscore Banneret at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, yep. And uh, I wanted to send out, a uh, again, a very special welcome, by the way, as we finish up here to Brian Murphy once again. So Most of you guys already know he's back. He, he's here. But Brian Murphy, you wrote for the Sentinel, or not for the Sentinel, but for the future. Um, when I was working in the video department, um, he is back here in uh, in Orlando, and he's going to be covering uh, a couple things, mostly baseball. Um, but Brian will be here, uh, will be on Black and Gold Banneret. He will be uh, writing some stuff for us uh, as well, and uh, and hopefully hopefully we'll have him on the podcast very soon too, hopefully next week, um, to talk a little UCF baseball. So um, thanks again to Brian for joining up. I'm so glad that uh, he's with us because I can never, I never have enough time to write, and I know we have, like, uh, and I know that there are a lot of, folks who you know want to do some you know really good writing um you know i know that you you've done a great job with some of the softball stuff and now we're gonna have brian doing a little baseball so um nice. thanks again thanks again big to brian and murph yes big welcome to uh brian murphy we'll have him on the podcast soon enough eric so uh nice. and again thank you to you fans for uh sticking with yep. us through another marathon edition of uh <laughs> of the ucf uh, of the black by and the way. podcast yeah go ahead eric one thing we got to congratulate 
Andrew and Trace this yes. uh, upcoming weekend, their 100th edition episode. That's right, 100 episodes. Uh, I may or may not be a cameo in there. We'll see how the, the that plays out. That's the other thing I might be doing. Nice. But uh, nonetheless, even if not, congrats to them on their uh, 100th episode. Yes, congratulations to Andrew and Trace on episode number 100. Here's to another 100, and here's to uh, maybe more crossover episodes between us and them uh, in the future, because that's always been fun. So for Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Scher. Oh, by the way, don't forget, uh, subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn. Don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes and uh, reach out to us as well on the UCFSports.com message board uh, where we always post the show and also uh, at blackandgoldbanneret.com and on our Facebook page uh, as well. So for Eric Lopez, my name is Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you again next week. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.